Filthy Henry, Accidental Legend, Chapter 19. Shelley sat on the edge of the bed and stared at the window, watching Filthy Henry struggle with Cahill as he dragged him out of the forest and back to the house. Normally, upon seeing such a sight, she would have gone downstairs to help. But now, in light of just how bad a friend the fairy detective actually was, she figured he could do with the exercise. In the past hour, Shelley felt as if she had gone through a condensed version of the five stages of grief one with a slightly different ordering system, and two of the stages being completely skipped. It had started with denial that she had in fact died and been brought back to life, with even more denial added on when Drew had told her what Filthy Henry had done. Then acceptance that this had happened, considering she was very much alive and clearly everyone in the world knew she had really died. The last stage, anger, was hanging around a lot longer than the previous stages had. So much so that Shelley wondered if, at any point, she would stop feeling this anger towards the fairy detective. True, some people would argue that Filthy Henry had done a nice thing. After all, nobody wants to know they had died and been brought back to life. Especially when it seemed nothing happened, when a person eventually did shake off the mortal coil. No bright light, choirs of angels or pearly gates. Even fire and brimstone with added pitchforks appeared to be just a story. When a person died, they seemed to just stop. Maybe a true friend really would keep the whole dying thing from the returned individual, as a nicety. To prevent them spending the rest of their days wondering what the point of everything was. Then again, maybe when a person died, they really did go to heaven. Or hell, if that was the destination reserved for the sinners, and really bad people. Perhaps being brought back to life wiped your memories of the afterlife you wound up in. If you knew, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that at the end of your days you got to spend eternity in a wonderful place, it might cause people to stop doing good deeds. One would assume that the human mind locked away such knowledge so that people had to always earn their place in paradise. Sort of similar to how the mind made humans ignore the majority of magic that happened around them daily a strange sort of survival mechanism for the mystical, to prevent people going crazy with too much otherworldly knowledge. Even still, the whole situation felt like a massive violation of trust. As Shelley thought more about it, she started to think about the last year working with Filthy Henry. When they had worked together on the case of the dead god, Shelley had asked Filthy Henry a question in his kitchen. In what was a fairly typical fairy detective wordplay, he had failed to answer the question then got annoyed and changed the topic, all under the guise that Shelley had been wasting time, which would be better spent figuring out how a god could be killed. Back then, Shelley had not thought too much about it. One thing that anyone who knew Filthy Henry for longer than five minutes figured out quickly was he had the manners of a dead donkey. He was curt, sharp, and if hungry, snappish to the point of deserving a punch in the nose. When working a case that failed to just be solved with the minimum amount of work on his part, Filthy Henry tended to be even harder to deal with. Now it looked like he had just been avoiding Shelley's question. 
Rather than risk telling her the truth by accident, the fairy detective had instead dialed up his bad manners to the next level. Filthy Henry would no doubt argue that he had been sparing Shelley's feelings, which was something a true friend would do. However, since he spent most of the time insulting Shelley in some way, it made the spared feelings defence a poor one. To make the entire affair worse, if that was actually possible, Filthy Henry had failed to tell her she was no longer human. Well, not completely human. Now Shelley was able to see the magical world using fairy vision that was inherently her own. Not something provided by the fairy detective. Before, Filthy Henry had explained, she would get glimpses of the fairy world because she was an artist. Apparently creative people had a tendency to keep a small amount of that second sight from childhood, well into their adult years. The fairy detective had then cast a spell on her, linking her to his magic, which allowed her to see the fairy world fully whenever she wanted. Now magic coursed through her veins, allowing Shelley to view the magical side of the world without any assistance from Filthy Henry. Who knew what effects this internal source of magic would have on her? While not exactly a half-breed like Filthy Henry, she was definitely something different to just a normal person. For the fairy detective, magic took a serious toll on his body, due to his half-breed nature. He had to consume a lot more food than a normal person, or risk his own body being converted into magical energy for spellcasting. Shelley had not noticed an increased appetite in the last few months, during which she had used the fairy sight regularly, or seen any unexplained weight loss, which was good, but there could always be unknown problems further down the line. Filthy Henry simply did not have the right to keep that sort of information from her. She was angry at him, plain and simple. Outside her window, the fairy detective had managed to finally drag Cahill up to the front door. He lowered the man to the ground and propped him up against the wall. Shelley considered leaving, packing her bag and heading back to Dublin without saying a word to either Felty Henry or Drew. It was hardly a selfish thought. She needed time to process this revelation, figure out what path her life would take now. Plus, the fairy detective could just go and solve this case on his own, since, in his own words, he was so smart and knew everything. A bright glow in the corner of the room caught her attention. Without even needing to change to turn on her fairy vision, Shelley could see it. She held up her left hand to shield her eyes slightly and watched as the Mirai stepped out of the light. Hello, the fairy said, her hair blonde for the moment. Hi, how come you're here? The Mirai looked around the room, then turned and watched Shelley with a confused expression on her face. There is a divergence in the paths occurring. We're here to help correct that. I thought you said you couldn't directly interfere with this whole thing. That's why you needed Filthy Henry to get involved. That is true, Mirai said. However, that simply means we cannot directly influence the champion's actions. Therefore, I can discuss the problems with you. Certain things must happen. These events are ones we can guide. Also, as the conflict draws closer, we can prevent anyone cheating. Just as we have with Maeve. Shelley shrugged. So you lied. I'm starting to see that lying is almost a bigger part of the fairy world than magic. You can do whatever you want, really. You just decided to get the fairy detective and myself involved. After she blinked, the Mariah's hair changed to red. We did not lie, the fairy creature said. We cannot prevent Maeve from getting the bull if she wins in single combat. We can only ensure that events play out so that only one path has a fork in it. Either the champion will be victorious or not 
This is the path everyone must walk now. Which is why we're here. To speak with you. Let me guess. You've seen a future where I went back home and Maeve gets the bull. So I need to stick around here and help Filthy Henry. Right? Shelley said. The Mirai nodded her head. Exactly. Believe it or not, the half-breed does need you. More than either of you realise. We cannot allow Maeve to control both bulls. Hence why we need you all to work together. To ensure she never achieves her goal. If she won, it would bring about a dark and terrible age for all. Shelley started to tug at her bottom lip. A bad habit she had picked up during her teenage years when thinking. This was one of those character-defining moments in life. Shelley knew that. She could be selfish and leave right now. Without caring if Filthy Henry and Cahill managed to save the day. If sticking around meant the odds were in the good guy's favour, then that was obviously the selfless thing to do. But why would a person help somebody who had lied so much? Because it's the right thing to do. To help more people instead of thinking only about yourself, Shelley said. Pardon? Shelley shook her head. Oh, nothing, just something my grandfather would have said. Sticking around was the right thing to do. All it would take was to ignore the desire to punch Filthy Henry repeatedly every time he opened his lying half-breed mouth. The Mirai would be happy, and all going well, the bull would be kept out of Maeve's hands. You were able to see when people die, correct? The Mirai nodded her head once more. Do you know I've died before? Shelley asked. We have seen your past, yes, Mirai said. However, death is never really considered a fixed thing in our world. So I believe. So you've seen my future as well, then. You know when I will die again. Mirai closed her eyes, tilting her head to the right. Yes, you will die again, she said. This time it will be more permanent. Would you like for us to reveal more details about this? Shelley considered this for a moment, but decided against taking the ferry up on our offer. Knowing she had died once before was bad enough. Learning about when her impending death would happen next would have been a mental strain she could do without. On the positive side, however, at least she would die again and not live forever because of that little bit of magic in her blood. No. So just tell me this. The magic in me. It isn't harming me, is it? It is not, Mariah said, opening her eyes and shaking her head. It is simply trace amounts. No more than the half-breed had originally put in you when he helped you unlock your second sight. Shelley was relieved to hear that. At least it answered the question enough to put her mind at ease. I have one condition you have to agree to if you want me to stay and help. The fairy frowned. It would appear that mortals are making that request of us a lot today. What is your condition? You need to convince Alice that Cahill is a big deal, since nobody has done any work on that front, and we kind of promised him we would. Even if he just nudged her thoughts in his general direction, let nature handle the rest. He seems like a nice enough guy under all that hair. He just needs a break on the girlfriend front. The Mirai gave the request some thought, then nodded her head once. Okay then, I'll stick around until Cahill saves the day, Shelley told her. She meant precisely every word of the statement as well. Drew was grateful for the thump at the front door. Most normal people, those sort who rarely dabbled in magic, would have considered a thump at their door to be a bad thing. It could only have indicated that something was about to happen which was not going to be pleasant.
Such folk, however, were not currently sitting at a kitchen table, being stared at by the most Irish of Irish mammies the world had ever seen. The way the poor light in the room caught her eye made the druid want to admit every bad thing he'd ever done as a child. He would have even told her every bad thing his childhood friends had done, just to get the staring to stop. It was worse than being interrogated by a spy. When the thump came, a hollow-sounding bang on the wooden doorframe, Drew leapt out of his seat without any hesitation. I'll get that, the druid said to the startled look from Mammy Cullen. He took a quick two-step around the pram to avoid the gurgling child, ignored the questioning look from a confused Alice, and ran down the hallway. Shelley had returned a few minutes earlier, announcing her presence by swearing like a sailor as she went up the stairs. She had dropped the silver hurley stick on the bottom step, the handle wrapped in a scarf. Both Alice and Mammy Cullen had stared at the druid in silence after Shelley slammed her bedroom door closed. They clearly had wanted him to go after her and check what was wrong. Little did they know there was nothing in the world that would have made him voluntarily do that. This course of action, however, had only intensified the look of disdain from Mammy Cullen. Overall, it had been a very long, uncomfortable evening. Drew reached the door, pulled down the handle and opened it. Cahill toppled backwards inside, his head banging on the old floorboards. Well, I guess that explains that, Drew said. He popped his head outside and saw Filthy Henry sitting on the old kitchen chair by the front door. The druid stepped out, taking care to avoid the unconscious man, and walked over to the fairy detective. What happened? Filthy Henry ran his hand over his face and shook his head. He rolled up his sleeve and started to examine his right arm. Ah, it all went to hell in a handcart, he said to the druid. I mean, why can't I for once just get an open and shut case? Drew frowned. You get those all the time, he said. You scam old people out of their pension money and walk away without doing any actual work. Filthy Henry gave the druid a dismissive wave of his hand. I don't mean those educational cases where I teach people not to waste my time by taking a modest fee from them. I mean, this sort of crap. End of the world, save the day. Be a big damn hero stuff. Can't I for once just get a case that takes a few hours to solve and still saves everyone from magical death? But then that prophecy about you wouldn't make much sense. The druid winced and closed his eyes tightly. His mother had always said that thinking before speaking was an art most people never mastered. Right then, Drew wished he had listened to her. Then again, she had also spoken about the virtue of listening, and he had clearly failed in that department too. He slowly opened his eyes to see if the fairy detective had heard what had just been said. Filthy Henry looked up at Drew, puzzlement in his face. What prophecy? Never mind, I'm mixing stuff up, the druid said, changing the topic as best he could. What happened out there? Did Shelley actually ask you if she died? You've got to believe me, I didn't tell her on purpose. She's like you when she gets going. Asks questions, but is really asking something else instead. You just don't spot it until it's too late. Ah, I had to tell her the truth, Filthy Henry said. I might have gotten away with it if she hadn't spotted me casting a memory wipe spell. But but how come you told her instead of just lie to her? Auntie Dooley. A powerful fairy cast a Breachdier Hinna spell on me. After Shelley had asked me the same question, with allowances for varying phrases, three times it kicked in fully.
I had to tell her everything she wanted to know in order to end the spell. Or enjoy excruciating pain until I could figure out a counterspell. Since my arm isn't trying to burn itself off me any longer, I guess Shelley was happy with the answer she got. Brishti Erhina. Pants on fire. What is it with fairy spells all using bad Irish? Drew said. The fairy detective didn't answer. Instead he stared off into the distance. Drew the Druid looked at Filthy Henry and found that he didn't want to smile at the fairy detective's predicament. It was unusual to see this side to him. One where Filthy Henry actually appeared to care what someone else thought. The Druid looked back at Cahill as he lay over the threshold and figured talking about anything else would make the situation less awkward for all involved. So how'd he get on with the hurley stick? Filthy Henry laughed in an impressively sarcastic manner. Well, Cahill here managed to make the stick erupt with a burst of raw magic, so powerful it destroyed a small section of the forest. We're lucky it didn't start a fire. That's something at least, Drew said with encouragement. No, it isn't, the fairy detective said. It's cause for concern. The stick doesn't do magical death rays of great power. It transforms the wielder into a warrior of great strength. Cahill isn't the right guy, I'm sure of it. Which means... He let the sentence trail off, but Drew knew enough about these types of conversations to get the general meaning. It meant that the boat they were metaphorically floating in was going up a creek of human excrement, and they no paddles. A boat that had suddenly sprung a dozen little leaks. You failed to mention this before, Maeve said. You never asked, replied the crone. I don't see how that's my problem. I'm not a mind reader. You're a grown woman. Learn to ask the questions you need answers to before you need them answered. Maeve glared at Lauren and considered strangling the fairy creature there and then. The only thing that prevented her from realising such a wonderful dream was the uncertainty about the spell which had brought her forward in time. Once she had both bulls in her possession, it would all be different. But until then it was too risky to hurt the crone, just in case the spell was somehow tied to the creature's life. The current reason Maeve desired to kill Lauren was because of the recent revelation about the field of battle. After the disaster earlier with the farmer, Maeve had come up with a more interesting plan. This time, the Age of Modern Wonders had weapons much more interesting than swords, bows and spears. Men could kill each other from across the room using guns. Something small, easily concealed and powerful enough to punch a hole into a man's skull. They sounded just short of magic in their own right firing out projectiles and bringing death and destruction to a person's enemies. Two or three men, fairly skilled in the art of shooting, could have wiped out an entire army armed with swords and leathers. They seemed to be relatively easy to obtain as well, since Drew's current body had one on him. Although it had proved useless when they tried to get the bull, but that had been down to Noel and Trug being idiots. They should have shot the farmer first and not bothered with asking questions later. Maeve figured that since the champion moron was going to be using the hurdy stick, it was only fair to take advantage of this modern weaponry. Trug and Noll would be armed with two handguns, marched into battle, and riddle Cottle with enough holes so that daylight shone through his skinny body. It was so elegant a plan that nothing about it seemed complicated at all. Except now the crone had decided to complicate things. I'd swear you're working against me rather than with me sometimes. You know that? Lauren frowned. I don't exactly see how you came to that conclusion, 
she said. I made sure you got catapulted in time from the point of your death, and then brought back your two most trusted warriors to help you get the bull. Yet when you're daft enough to not ask for all the details before forming your plan, it somehow becomes my fault. Maeve lashed out with her right hand, fingers curled inward slightly so she could rake her nails across Lauren's face. The crone looked directly into the queen's eyes. There was a slight rush of wind between them. Maeve's hand connected with an invisible force, sending a jarring jolt of pain shooting through her fingers. Ah! she snarled, pushing against the unseen barrier and getting nowhere. If you try such an act like that again, Lauren said, turning her back on the queen and moving down into the shadowy parts of the hovel, I'll remove your hand faster than you can blink. Don't think for a moment you're the only horse in my race for revenge. You're just the one currently in play. Maeve watched the crone pull a dusty book off the shelf, laden with jars, moulds and what looked like a horse's skull. She walked back down and opened the book, balancing it on the edge of the cauldron. With her finger she tapped on the page. On Dara Shansair, Maeve read out. Second chances in the true language. What does it mean? Release my hand. The force disappeared, and Maeve brought her hand back down, thinking of how much pleasure she would get when this was all finally over. And Lauren's face could be slapped, repeatedly. On Dara Shansair is the spell that's keeping you alive at the minute, the crone said. You'll find that a lot of us fairy creatures use grammatically incorrect Irish for our spells. In this modern Ireland, very few people would understand what's being said if they overheard it. Education is wasted on the youth. Anyway, the spell is tied directly into what is destined to happen. What only weapons from the time it was cast can be used. So there will be no guns, no tanks, no bombs, dropped from a great height to obliterate everyone you want before the fighting really starts. You just have to stick to the agreement we made with the half-breed. Single combat until all your men are tired or defeated. Or the champion is bludgeoned to death. But that means that true Ganal are useless to me as well, Maeve said. Since they both currently exist in bodies that are from this time. Lauren squinted and looked into the flames burning under the cauldron. Yes, there is that. However, I think the spell will allow them to enter the field during the fight since they were there in the previous time. You said think. The crone shrugged and gave Maeve a black-toothed smile. Well, magic isn't an exact science. After all, we thought you'd appear a few days later, not centuries. I don't believe the spell will prohibit people from this time entering the field, at least not completely. Besides, we have a big cauldron of potion to give the men. It will get them to cross the spell's threshold, no problem. Closing the book, Maeve looked at Lauren. Fine, but I want you to figure out my other ask. Don't even think about telling me on the day of the fight that you won't be able to make it happen because of more hocus-pocus crap. If he is anything like his predecessor, then trickery and traps will be used. I want to level the playing field or ensure that it's tipped towards us. Get researching and find me my answer quickly. She tipped the book into the bubbling contents of the cauldron and walked away from the withering look given to her by the crone. Filthy Henry, Accidental Legend is a novel by Derek Power. 
More Filthy Henry novels are available to buy on Amazon Kindle. Narration and music by Niall Milton. To keep up to date with episodes this season, why not subscribe or like or share? We'd really appreciate it.